0: Statement's going to make me sound like an old man, in which compared to some of you I am. But I don't, I don't know that a better worship song has been written in the past 20, 30 years than that. Man, it's good, really good. We are grateful that you guys are here with us today. Um, grateful for a lot of faces of folks that I haven't gotten to meet yet. If I didn't get to meet you, my name is Matthew, um, one of the pastors here. Uh, my privilege to to be here and to shepherd and just man, it's it's a great job. Uh, I meet I've made a ton of pastors who are not in the position that we are right now, and their life is not fun. And I have to tell you that because of what God is doing and what you, who you guys are, I can tell you that I, I love my job. And it's, it's just fun every day. And so thank you guys for, uh, for being obedient and being here. Let me call your attention to a couple things that are on the table back there this week. Uh, there's a collection of bookmarks back there. We are trying to give you just ways to read through Scripture in a year. And these are four bookmarks, and it kind of gives you a plan. You'll read two to three chapters a day. Um, and you can kind of check them off as you go, and you can even start with the date that's on there. We've got a few out there this week. We'll put a few more out there next week, um, and you can just kind of pick up on the date that we're on and just go. And this is kind of lending itself to like the SOAP method that we talk about a lot, the Scripture Observation Application Prayer. If you don't know how to do that, we have good news for you. There's a group that meets every Wednesday morning at 7.30 a.m. at Spill the Beans. There's about to be a Tuesday group, and we're probably going to have a Friday group kicking off soon. Um, There there are men's groups. There's going to be a women's group. We might even have a co-ed group. But if you want to get in on those, great opportunity. And with that... There are, there are a couple soap journals back there, too, which has this reading plan in it, but it's already has, it already has a journal in it for you. So there's, like, no excuses. You can read, you can write, you can ride your bike, you can do all those things right here in this handy-dandy journal. I've never done infomercials, but I think I should. And then lastly, uh, we have two more sponsored children available. Actually, there's three, because one walked off last week um, for our sponsor opportunities for kids in Cacapec, Guatemala, which is our mission partner down there, and we're going back. Uh, that announcement will be towards the end of the worship service. Um, They're back there. If you take one of these, make sure you talk to my bride first to let her know because we need to do something for you uh, so that it can be official. And one of them left last week, and it may have been with our Pendleton Street brothers and sisters, but if it was one of you guys that's here, make sure you see Abby and tell her that you took that, and we can get you guys set up. Um, I think those are the big announcements. Other than, community groups start back this week, and so that's an exciting time for us. We take a break over the Christmas chaos, and they kick back off this week. We have one that starts tonight. And then we have Monday, no Tuesday, I don't know, Wednesday, Thursday, 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 something like that. You can go to the website, originsgreenville.org, find Get Involved or Get Connected, community groups, jump into one of those. We're going to be talking about those over the next few weeks too. So that's all of that stuff. Today we kick off uh, something we do every couple years here as a family because we understand that downtown Greenville is funny, um, funny ha and funny awesome at the same time. And we know that most people we're going to see for about 10 to 16 months uh, that's kind of the cycle of people. Unless you get married, have babies, buy a house, uh, we're only going to see you for about 10 to 16 months. And so a lot of you, you haven't been here in the past two years. And for that, we're grateful. Uh, we miss the people that God moves on, but we're grateful that you're here. And so over the next six, seven weeks, we're just going to talk about, like, really who we are. We've got a DNA strand up there. Man, that's graphic. And so at the core, this is this is who we are. This is why we tick. This is what God has called us to do in this city, in this place, in this time. Um, I'm speaking to a group of young planters, church planters on Tuesday night about the realities of what church planting looks like. And specifically, I've been tasked to talk about the adolescent phase of church planting. What I call that is like the time that you have to choose as a church to put on your big boy and big girl pants. And in prepping for that, I'm reminded of all the things that we thought um, that origins would look like way back in the day and what they actually look like now, like the reality of all of these things. And so, because it's really easy sitting in a coffee shop to map out the trajectory of a church, you know, before it ever gets going. But then once it does get going, and things happen such as people leave, uh, you lose a space, you gain a space, all these things that happen, like you, you kind of draw back, and you're like, man, what is going on? And it's really easy in that time and in that place to say, well, maybe we, we shouldn't do this, or we shouldn't do that. And so for us as a church... It's become vitally important for us just to hone down what it is we're going to do and how we're going to do it that will last no matter what the culture says. No matter, no matter who stays, who leaves, what are we going to do as a church and who are we going to be? And so over these next seven weeks, we're going to talk about like those vitals. You know, what are those things for us? Um, if you've been around with us long enough at all, you know that, that our kind of, our mission statement is origins. Uh, we are here to make disciples who love God, love one another, and love the city. And that's it. And so each week we're going to kind of take each one of those statements. The first two weeks we're going to talk about this making disciples idea. Um, And we're going to start today uh, in a different place than we have in the past. We have kind of a a statement that we will make based on Matthew uh, chapter 4. But today we're going to look at Luke chapter 5. And I'll, I'll go ahead and let the cat out of the bag about today. The goal... The goal is for us just to understand, like if we're going to talk about our job is to make disciples, I think the very first thing that we have to do is we have to put a definition down and understand what is a disciple. Because I think, like if you've grown up in the church, um, even for the past five years, especially if you've been in there since diapers, I think that there is an understanding or maybe an acceptance of this idea that we have Christians and then we have disciples, we have Christians, those who have called on the name of Jesus for salvation, and then we have disciples, those who've called on the name of Jesus for like life change, purpose change, everything. But the problem is, if we're holding two different uh, definitions of these things, uh, it's incongruent with Scripture. Because in reality, Christian wasn't used until much later in the church's history. And at the time, it was actually a derogatory term used to call the people that were of the way or the people that were following Christ. But the people that really knew them, they called them disciples because they literally were students and followers of Jesus. And so, like, before we even dive in, I'm not even, we're not even going to have to spend a lot of time here. I'll tell you this. Like, if we have called on the name of Jesus, chosen him in favor, and, you know, chosen him over our sin, we've trusted in his life, his death, his resurrection, and his words to make us right, to reconcile us to God, and the Holy Spirit is coming to live inside of us, then we are a disciple, period. No way around it. The question is, what's the quality? of the life of disciple, discipleship that we're living. Are we a good disciple or are we a bad disciple? Are we a good follower or a distant follower? Do we follow at all? Or are we just trusting in Jesus just for relocation after we die? And I, and I say that, and I, I know a lot of you, and I know that's not you, but I, I think, man, the longer that we sit and we, we get so comfortable with grace, it's really easy for us to think, man, um, thank you, Jesus, I get to go to heaven. And that's great. It is. It's truth. We do get to be united with Jesus for eternity. But before that time, there were bookends to Jesus' statement that he made, all the things that he said. And and one of them was like, hey, uh, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And then at the very end, he said, go, make disciples. And in between all of that, he's telling us how to do that. And he's showing us how to do that through people's lives. And so today, we're going to look at Peter. Um, In this particular instance, this is either the second or third time that Jesus had an interaction with Peter the first time chronologically we can look in John chapter 1. Uh, the second or third, is it's kind of hard to tell because Luke is a very detailed writer where Matthew and Mark, they wrote a little bit differently. They wrote to a particular audience, so they used a specific literary style. But either way, this is the second or third time that Jesus has had an encounter that we see in Scripture with this guy named Peter. Uh, Peter was also most likely somebody that had attached himself to John the Baptist and had followed him. So he knew who was to come, even though he hadn't been through rabbinical school. He wasn't one of the intelligentsia of the society. He wasn't this guy. He was a fisherman. He knew of what was to come in theory. And then Jesus meets him. He has a conversation with him an exchange with him. He says, I'm going to change your name. He's like, what? Yeah, I'm going to change your name. And then at some point, either the second or third time that he meets him, um, basically we find here. The second and third, it's a little bit hard to tell, like I said, because of literary styles, but either way, uh, we're going to look at this, and and we're going to assume that this is the the last conversation that they had before Peter just kind of made a bold move, a really bold move. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to start Luke chapter 5, go through 1 through 11, and uh, chat about that a little bit. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. Um, God, we thank you that your truth is what can set us free, is what can make us right with God. Um, God, if we just believe. Thank you for being a Savior that reaches to us instead of making us reach to you. And God, thank you that the gospel is real and it's alive. And thank you for trusting it to us, which blows my mind. God, as we look at your word, I pray that we are faithful to look at it well with what you intended for it to say. We don't add to or take anything away. And I pray that you speak to us today and continue to make us more and more like Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So Luke chapter 5, verse 1 says on one occasion while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. genesarit yeah that's a hard one um, and he saw two boats by the lake but the fishermen uh, had gone out of them and were washing their nets getting into one of the boats which was simon's he asked him to put out a little from the land and he sat down and taught people from the boat and when he had finished speaking he said to simon he said put out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch and simon answered he said master or teacher We toiled all night and took nothing, exclamation point. So he's like, man, we've been doing this all night. All night long. Anyway, all night. (laughs) But at at your word, I will let down the nets. I've got ADD real bad. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners and the other boats to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you'll be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. So we've got these guys. We've got Peter. We've got James. We've got John. Andrew's in the mix somewhere. He was the brother of Peter. Um, And what we know about them so far is they're fishermen. It's what they do for a living. Like they know it. Like, they know fishermen. They don't do it like I do it. I mean, they do it with a net. They do it to make a living. I do it for fun, and if I had to feed my family the way I fish, we would starve. Um, they do it for a living, and my kids, they love this story. We will read this one in the Jesus Storybook Bible, and it used to be the one that they would want to turn to because they love seeing all the fish. Uh, before they could speak really well, we'd be like, what story do you want to read? He's like, fish story, fish story, and so we'd, we'd turn to this one. And so we know that they're fishermen and at some point Jesus has already been healing people. He had already been preaching. His fame had been growing and he finds himself amongst these people one day and he says, hey, Peter, I need to borrow your boat because I need to speak to the whole crowd. I can't do it on the beach because they're all around me but, but give me like a mobile, a mobile uh, you know, pedestal to speak on. So he pushes out and he teaches. And then Jesus turns to Peter. He's like, uh, let's go out to the deep. Let's go, let's go way out. Let your nets down. He's like, Master, teacher, we've been fishing all night. Didn't catch anything. But if you say so, somewhere along the way, Peter and Jesus had already had an exchange. Like I said, he was a follower of John the Baptist. He had attached himself to John the Baptist. And, and so he probably did hear things about Jesus. I don't know if he fully understood yet who he was. We see some, some waving back and forth all the way throughout his time with Jesus. All of the disciples, they were still a little off guard, caught off guard by who he was. But he said, hey, master, hey, teacher, Rabbi, I, if, if you say so, I'll, I'll do it. And so they do it. They do it, and all of a sudden their nets are so full it's about to sink the boat. He's like, guys, I need help. They go and they fill a couple boats full of fish. This is unusual, not normal, out of the ordinary, and they almost sink two boats. And as soon as Peter sees this, he looks at it and he's like, oh, oh, this guy, something's different. Not just a normal rabbi. I've seen normal rabbis. Their beards may look better, but this guy right here, something different. And he throws himself down at Jesus' knees, and he's just like, you need to leave. You need to go, because I'm a sinner. And I think for every disciple, whether you've been called that or not, there are some similarities that we all must share. Before we get into what it looks like to make a disciple, to reproduce a disciple, uh, the, the things that we need to do for that, we need to understand who we are. Identity is probably one of the biggest things that we can ever latch on to. Because who we are determines what we do. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but like who you are determines what you do. My mom and dad, I've talked about this a lot, like my mom and dad, every night before we would leave the house, starting as like middle schoolers, my mom would tell us, she was like, remember who you are. She had an addendum to that later, but every night she would tell us, remember who you are. Basically, she's saying, hey, don't do anything that's not commensurate with your identity, Don't do anything that would betray who you are. Don't do anything that would betray the person that God is making you to be. That's what she was saying. We were, Man, we were graciously given great parents who loved Jesus and wanted us to love Jesus. And as a result, me and my three siblings, we all accepted Jesus at an early age, no doubt about it. I can remember the yellow, green, goldish shag carpet in the middle of our hall. I remember that. uh, Very, very vivid. But my mom would always tell us, remember who you are. Don't do anything that would go against that. Later, she would add, remember who you are, whose you are, and then she would also say, and if you do anything otherwise, I'll break your legs. That was my mom. <laughs> so much, in fact, that we do a white elephant game at Christmas, and my sister bought a sign, you know, like a, you know, a, a nautical rope kind of a deal, catchy kind of Pier 1 deal that says, remember who you are, and I was like, come on, you guys got to learn how to play this game, but either way, um, it's, just, it's just part of our family, because who we are, our identity determines what we do. Like, as disciples... We need to know who we are, because it will set the course of our life and what we do. It will set the course of what we reproduce. It will set the course of those people that we love, how we love. It will do it all if we just know who we are. So we see some, we see some things here. The, the first thing that we see uh, with Peter um, and Jesus, similarity across the board between Peter and all of us, because by the way, the thing that Jesus was doing to Peter, he intends to do with us, too. Call us from where, anyway, I'm, I'm going to get ahead of myself, I'll stop. Here's the first thing. He asked Peter to take a step, like a big step. And it was, it was contrary to everything that Peter knew, because like I said, Peter was a fisherman. He knew this job, he made a living at this job. This was his deal, this was his identity. And Jesus said, hey Peter, go out to the deep. And by the way, they wouldn't fish in the deep. They wouldn't fish in the deep because I don't know if you've ever been shrimping or if you've ever been fishing with nets, but what you would look for is you would look for the water to go from deep to shallow and the water to be pushing up on those shallows, and that's where you would catch the fish because that's where they would stack up. So you would never go out to the deep to fish like that. So he told him one thing contrary to his skill, contrary to his knowledge, but then he told him something that was contrary to his experience, his immediate experience. He said, go out to the deep, let's fish some more. He's like, Jesus, uh, we've been fishing all night, didn't catch anything. He said, but... If you say to do it, I will. Jesus said, I did. Go. So Jesus asked Peter right then, take a step. Trust me. And so he goes. And based on that step, he sees a miracle. See, in our life too, same thing. Maybe we're not fishing. But Jesus has asked us to go against our nature and trust him. Because who else better knows your life than you? Who else better knows my life than me? And Jesus is saying, no, 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 I don't want you to trust your life. I want you to trust mine. He's saying, you've worked hard enough to try to make yourself right, to make yourself good, to make yourself acceptable, but the gospel declares that we cannot. We cannot make ourselves right. We cannot make ourselves good. We cannot reconcile ourselves to the Father, but only Jesus can. He said, trust my life, not yours. So immediately, immediately when we meet Jesus, he's saying, take a step of faith, go against your nature, and trust me instead. He's saying, trust me. He's not only saying, trust my life, but he's saying, trust me with your life so that you can live it in such a way that you model it after mine. That's the life of a disciple. The life of a disciple is not just that we tuck in behind Jesus and we walk where he walked, But he says, I want you to walk how I walked. Metaphor for life. He said, I don't want you just to go where I went. I want you to get there the way I got there. I want you to love the way that I loved on the way. I want you to take care of people the way I took care of people in front of you. The life of a disciple says we trust Jesus with our life, and we trust that his life is the model that we live by. It's faith. We just spent a whole semester walking through Hebrews 11, right? Hebrews 11 was like this deal where it gives us a working definition of faith, and then it gives us all these people in the Old Testament that lived it out. And Hebrews 11.1 tells us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. I would love to say that trusting Jesus with his life and not mine is an easy thing, but it's not. If it was, you know what your grandmother would say? If it was, everybody would be doing it. I mean, that's what my grandmother would say. But it's the reality. And to be honest, trusting Jesus with your life is is not natural. It's not normal. It's not easy. And to be honest, you can't do it unless he asks you to. Because it's not in you. He says, trust me. Have faith in me. So then, when we're faced with this question or this directive, we have two choices. Peter said, if you say so, if we're a disciple, if we've chosen to follow Jesus, we, we have to echo that same thing. If you say so. But without the lip and the attitude. You know, I think a lot of times with our parents, we always have the lip and attitude attached, but this is just like, whatever you say, I'll do. And then, based on the preeminence and the power of Jesus, guess what happens? Miracle. For Peter, it was fish. Just in this scenario. But in the rest of his life, it was newness and all of those things. For us, the reconciling myself to God, I could never do it, but Jesus says, I'll do it for you. I'll do that because you can't. But if you just trust me to do it, I will. And then you just, you just tuck right in. Watch where I step. Step where I step, step how I step. We'll put a caveat at the end, but we're all asked to take a step. Again, we're experts in our life, and Jesus says, trust me with mine, and then mimic mine as you follow. Second thing, after he said, trust me, and he said, okay, I'll trust you. The fish were so many, so plentiful, it was about to to sink two boats. Man, what does Peter do? Hmm. He says, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, verse 8. And then he says, oh, Lord. He stopped calling him rabbi, number one. He didn't call him teacher anymore. He said, oh, Lord. Remember, we, we talked about the Old Testament a little while back. That would have been Yahweh, which they would have been afraid to actually say out loud. So they would have said Elohim when they wrote it down and it's translated into Lord in the Old Testament. Here, there was this sense of, you who rule my life and own it. He said, get out of here because I'm, I'm rotten. Why did he say that? Because here's what happens when we see the provision of Jesus based on our faith in Jesus. We catch a glimpse of who Jesus really is. Only by his grace, only by his merit, not mine, we get to see for just a minute who he is. And who he is, he's holy, he's perfect, he's all powerful, he's all those things that scripture says that he is. And when we really see it, guess what happens? We see that we're none of those things. Remember, trust me with your life, not with yours. Why? Because his life, yeah, his was the only one that was perfect. Perfect for reconciliation, perfect for salvation, perfect for all those things. Mine is not. When we really trust him and see him provide, we see all of that. And in stark contrast, we see our stuff. And our stuff, when we hold it up to the light of Jesus, is just bad. It's just rotten. It's no good. But here's the beauty in it. Jesus knew every single bit of that when he called us. Man, the beauty in the gospel is that Jesus knew about all of our stuff before he ever came down and reached to us because we didn't reach him. And we couldn't. He knew all of our stuff. He even knew the stuff that we were going to do even after we would call on him as Savior. He knew all of it. And yet he still reaches out. He still asks us to trust. And he still reveals his character, his nature, his glory bit by bit to us so that we can see it, so that we can see ourselves. And then what does Peter do? He says, I am a sinful man. He's humbled and brought low by the image of God, and then he's moved to confession. And I love what David says uh, in Psalm 32. It just gives a great stark contrast. Psalm 32, 3 through 5, it says, For when I kept silent, my bones, they wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, you were convicting me, my strength was dried up, or my vitality was changed as by the heat of the summer. I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And until we're willing to take that step of faith, trust in Jesus' life, not ours, and then be privileged enough to see the nature, the glory of Jesus, it says that our bones will ache. Our vitality will dry up. And it's just a confession away. Peter said, You need to go. I've seen you. I've seen me. And by comparison, I'm no good. I think this is a marker of discipleship that we miss very often, too. And it's just, just this simple word that's not popular, it's not a bumper sticker word, it's not a t shirt word, and it's, it's humility humility. We're taught the opposite, right? We're taught, no, 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 you you need to be proud of yourself. You need to love yourself more than anyone else. You need to do all these things. And I'm, man, I'm not a self-help coach, so I'm I'm not going to burn your books, but here's the deal. If we don't see Jesus as better than us, if we don't see Jesus as more than us, as holier than us, it's all of those things, we cannot be his disciple. Because why are we going to follow someone who's not all those things? We're not. We'll go right back to following ourself. And that's not the gospel. If that's my identity, my identity is not Jesus. It's me, my natural-born self. And according to Peter, it's it's no good. Hmm. So then what? It says, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Uh, Because they looked. He said that because he saw everything that he had done. And then Jesus says to Simon, It says, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be scared. From now on, you're going to be catching men. And a lot of people hear that. They're like, man, that's kind of crazy. Yeah, but, you know, it's wordplay, okay? Go with it. This is the other third characteristic of a disciple. And this is where these two things, like Christian and disciple, if we're holding them in different hands, here's where the problem comes. Every disciple, every Christian is called to go after people. Everyone. None of us are exempt. That responsibility, that glory and beautiful, weighty responsibility does not skip over a single soul who is called on the name of Jesus to be made right with God. It's not for just pastors, it's not for just deacons, it's not for just elders, it's not for just student ministry leaders, kids ministry leaders, it's not for just all of those people. No, 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 it's all of those who have been called from the mire of their sin, placed in the glory of Jesus to be made right with God, and are now called by a different name. Every one of us, the responsibility lands on. Everyone. Now we're given different gifts, we're given different talents, we're di- given different ways to go about that, but every one of us. We're bound by the same responsibility. And as a matter of fact, I think to a degree what we bought into is that we can be a Christian that doesn't have this responsibility because I've already said the prayer, I've already done the dance, I've been dunked, I've done all those things, and so I'm comfortable just to come and sit. Well, I'll be honest, Jesus didn't redeem us to come and sit. He didn't. No, 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 he's mobilizing an army that is called after his own name for a world that needs to hear about the same truth and the grace that we did. If we come and sit, the world will not change. The world will have a lot less business on Sunday mornings at breakfast places, but the world will not change. If we huddle ourselves together in beautiful buildings with great ornate sepals and we don't take this seriously, the world will not change. It doesn't matter. But the world must change because the world needs Jesus. So no one is exempt. We're all called disciples. We're all called to tuck in, walk where he walked, as he walked. And guess what he did as he walked? He brought people to himself. And Hebrews 11, I mean, uh, 2 Corinthians 5. My kids got to memorize this a little while back. Um, 5.17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, behold the new has come, verse 18, all of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation, therefore we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our own sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Whew. He said, By the way, you're new now as a result of Jesus by grace through faith, so that you can do. You're new now so that you can continue what Jesus did while he was here on earth. That same ministry that was given to him, he has passed it to us. As a result of his righteousness, we have now been made the righteousness of God. and the ministry of reconciliation, us going out and telling every man, woman, and child for repeated opportunities for them to respond, that they too can be made right with God. They can be reconciled. The slate can be washed clean, not by their doing, but only by Jesus's. That ministry, that service has been granted to every single one of us every single one of us that call on the name of Jesus for salvation everyone because that's what a disciple does verse 11 after he said do not be afraid from now on you'll be catching men your identity has changed your purpose is changed it may not even change their job because by the way they went back and they fished from time to time but it did change their purpose it changed their goal it changed all of those things Changed their identity at a heart level. And it said in verse 11, it says, And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. They left it all. And here's the other lie about discipleship, about being a disciple. I think for far too long, we've left the statement incomplete and we've said that salvation is a free gift from God. And it is. Don't get me wrong. You're not going to pay for it. You can't. You don't have enough in your account. Neither do I, but it's incredibly costly. It's the truth. It is costly. It could very potentially cost you everything. And if you've heard any other version, I apologize. Hopefully you didn't hear it from me, but if you did, I'm sorry. We've talked about how God's economics are completely different. Man, in God's economy, the price is worth it. Could it cost you everything? Yes. But is it worth it? Yep. These guys who had only spent fleeting moments with Jesus, they said, forget the boats. (laughs) Forget the nets. There's something better, more important. I think as disciples, we have to see the more important. We have to see beyond our nets, beyond our boats, beyond our current Jesus is calling us to more. Something he started and he's passed on to us. What a glory. Huge. You say, well, I've done these things. I've I've given my life to Jesus. I've accepted him. Why are you telling me these things again? Here's why. Here's the other thing we have to understand about disciples. Even though we've been united with God through Jesus, we're not perfect. If we continue to read about the life of Peter... We see him do some really dumb stuff. I can identify with him very frequently because sometimes I open my mouth well before my brain has started to actually process what I'm saying. Amen, Abby. <laughs> it's very possible that I say dumb things. It's very possible that I do simple things. Why? Because disciples were not perfect. So here's the reality. All of these things, we're asked to take a step. Yeah, we're asked to do that for the rest of our life. We're asked to believe the same way in which we believe for salvation. We're asked to do it for the rest of our life. Not for salvation, but for the continuance of our sanctification. The continuance of us being made more and more like Jesus and being useful in Christ. We're asked to do it every day. Believe. Trust me. Trust me even when it's contrary to your understanding, contrary to your nature. We get to catch more of a glimpse of Jesus every single day. And I think the closer we get to Jesus, the more we see of him, the more that we see, wow, I do not have it figured out yet. I'm still a broken pot. Thank you, Jesus, for not being that. We get to see more and more of him. I think that's, again, the continuance of that by grace through faith kind of a deal that we get to see more and more of Jesus. And then the given new purpose deal, man, that's life. We can wake up every morning with new purpose to know that it's not me. It's not my house that I've turned into a castle. No, 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 the purpose is Jesus. The purpose is his ministry, not mine. The purpose is reconciliation, not relocation. Every day. So these one through three kind of things, they have to be daily part of a life of a disciple. It's part of how we follow. It's part of how we, we tuck in we stay there. And on those days that we screw up, Jesus knew we were going to do it. Does it erase responsibility and blame from us? No, because the answer is still the same. Repentance, confession, we still do that to restore what was broken, not to restore what was lost. And then just get back on the horse. I think Satan would love us to believe what even Peter was tempted to believe for a little while. Jesus, I messed up with you. I'm done but Jesus kindly and tenderly meets him on a beach even after Peter denied him vocally three times and he just says no no just do what you knew you were supposed to do from the beginning feed my sheep take care of my people and he did he did so the questions for you for me Is that me? Am I that? Or have I bought into an incomplete version of the gospel? Not trying to get you to, you know, to doubt your salvation, to doubt any of that, not. But just, let's just be honest with ourselves in the spirit of God. Is that me? Is that what I believe? Because I'm not taking, making a stretch here, but that's what scripture teaches. That disciples, we follow Jesus. We emulate Jesus. And not only that, but we've been brought into his mission and we're to continue it. How are we doing with that? Maybe today is a, a perfect time as we sing in just a minute just to say, you know what, God? I've only been doing part of that. I want to do the rest. Forgive me for thinking incompletely, loving incompletely, acting incompletely. Thank, forgive me for just being an incomplete disciple. Help me to be fully on board. And just say today, help me to know what it means to start. Next week, come back. And we'll talk about some of those how-tos and what that looks like. But today, the question is, is that me? Is that you? God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the idea that you do not just simply call us so that we can be better versions of ourselves, but you call to make us new. You reach to us because we can't reach you. And God, you desire to make us into um, people who are carrying the same message that Jesus did to the same people that he desires to carry it to. God, I thank you for this family of believers, um, and even those that are sitting here that do not yet know you. God, I pray that you are speaking to them directly, that your spirit is dealing with them. And God, maybe you're asking them today to, to take that step, to trust the life of Jesus instead of their own, to confess their sin in light of who you are, and God, to believe in Jesus and only Jesus, to be made right with God pray that you would move. I pray that you would move in the rest of us, God, to move us to a place in which uh, we see our neighbors as people that need to hear the gospel. We see our coworkers as people that need to hear the gospel. We see our children as people that need to hear the gospel. Uh, We see the lady at the gas station that we buy gas from every single week as someone who needs to hear the gospel. And God, through your spirit, you empower us, you equip us, and you direct us to be those ministers of reconciliation here and now and in this city. God, we love you, and it's in your name we pray.